Welcome to episode 20 of the My Movie Minute podcast. We are delighted to welcome a guest into My Movie Minute headquarters this week. So without further ado, let's get struck straight into the episode to find out not only who our guest is, but what Movie Minute they have chosen. What about you, bro? What about me? Do you ever look at someone and wonder what is going on inside their head? Who are you? Are we enemies? Why am I on this wall? Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Trinity, Eli, you boy. We mostly come at night. Mostly. So we are back uh, with another My Movie Minute. Uh, how are you doing today, Charlie? Uh, I'm doing very well, thank you, Mark. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. I just wanted to check in because I know last episode was uh, quite an emotional one for you. <laughs> yeah, what's quite sweet is uh, I know we've had your dad on, on the podcast before. My dad listens uh, to occasional episodes and he listened to that one. Um, and uh, he said he got a bit emotional towards the end as well when I was talking about my nan. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, because it was much closer to that, wasn't it? To, yeah, yeah. To, to that so. happening. Um, well, you'll be happy to know, and I'll reveal a little bit more in a moment, uh, that we've possibly got someone on today who might be able to help you. <laughs> indeed, indeed, we've gone, we've gone, uh, we've got an interesting kind of link with the with the guest this week. But we'll get onto that a little bit more later. In the meantime, though, did we have any uh, listener feedback uh, to, to to pass on? Uh, well, I, very briefly, because uh, I do want to spend as much time with our guests as possible. But uh, I did throw on Instagram a poll this week. I've not done a Mind Me For Minute poll before. Um, you're, try, you're trying to shut us down by setting <laughs> us against each other, aren't you? That's right. I did a, I, I did a Mark versus Charlie movie poll because we've both done, ex, with, with exception of last week, um, we had done uh, eight movies each, including our Christmas specials. And I put those eight movies on as a list and said, which box set would you watch, my, mine or, or Mark's? It's a weird list. If if you, if you put like my my eight movies Eclectic. down, yeah, and then your eight movies down. Like <laughs> if you sit down and do a movie marathon, which one would you do? And the poll came back, and it was legitimately fifty fifty on the poll. <laughs> I mean, for us, that's what we were aiming for—a movie podcast where the two people are so similar you literally can't work out who is who. Like if you'd swap the names, would people have known? <laughs> Uh, maybe not, maybe not. Uh, I'll tell you what swung it for some of our listeners. That They said for your movie list, it was kind of the, the likes of Superman 3 and Jurassic Park that swung it. Yes, of course. Uh, mine apparently was the triple whammy, the great uh, triple bill of Elf, Fight Club and Lion King. Now... Try and find a thematic link between those three films. <laughs> I think probably the 90s, but that's about... Oh, no, not even Elf is well, is well beyond. Um, cruelty and violence. It's, it must be somewhere in the line. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. That is, that is fascinating. Unfortunately, uh, for anyone who doesn't like There Will Be Blood, you have to sit through that with either box set. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, maybe we'll see. We might, we might kind of edit the box sets later on and, and release them again as a poll to see if anything changes. But we're not going to add to that this week because um, we're introducing a guest. Absolutely. So it is it is my great pleasure to introduce on to My Movie Minute this week, friend of the show and uh, friend of Charlie even, uh, Matt Green. Hello, Matt. Welcome. 
Hi, good to talk to you and uh, thanks for having me on. You are absolutely welcome. I feel like last week's episode was a little harrowing on Charlie and I want to be able to support him as he goes through these difficult movie minutes. So we've invited you on, Matt. Uh, uh, Tell us what your day job is. So I'm a psychotherapist. Um, I say psychotherapist because it sounds fancier than just saying school counsellor. It makes you sound more important, like a doctor. Well... I I think that's very, very important to sound important, but also because there's that thing. And because we talk about we talk about uh, movies from our teenage years, the idea of a school counsellor in movies is a slightly different vibe. The guidance counsellor rather than the actual counsellor. But you are you are a a, a proper school counsellor. I am. I am. So I work at a a school in um, in Fulham, which is. A beautiful job because you meet so many kind of amazing kids and you kind of hear so many interesting stories and the types of work that you're you're kind of faced with day to day is a is a real mixture of kind of teenage teenage angst yeah. and uh, and then perhaps some more serious issues which of course you know given the circumstances at the moment in the world is is, is quite significant. I bet. But, um, yeah, yeah, very rewarding as you can imagine. And you and Charlie go way back, I understand. Yeah, so we, we worked together at the same school and I, I don't know quite the time frame in terms of when we started realising that we actually share quite a lot in common with kind of films and our, our love for certain certain genres. Um, so we've kind of become cinema companions as well. Yeah, and then he started inviting me along to to watch kind of harrowing, difficult films <laughs> that have like <laughs> complex uh, emotional sort of reveals and things like that in them. And and and, and I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. But yeah, you definitely you definitely opened my eyes to a particular subgenre, which we might talk about a little bit later on. It's true. I can't quite leave my work behind when I have uh, free time. And there's a there's a and we will get onto this, but there is a there is an interesting conversation that that we kind of touch on beyond the filmmaking uh, whenever we talk about these movies. But like the the idea that the the content of the movies is often autobiographical, often an exp- a way of processing thoughts and feelings that that we wouldn't be able to otherwise for filmmakers, but also for audiences. So this like. We've all bawled our eyes out, Charlie and I more than most in films. You know, we've all laughed uh, until we had to go to the loo. We've all, films have made us angry, films have made us whatever. It's it's the palette of emotion in movies, and especially if we're talking about Pixar films and Charlie, is is, is one that, that I don't tend to, I don't tend to think about actively. I just kind of let it wash. So does it change how you watch a movie, having the training and the... Uh, experience that you do definitely I think if you if you think about these these films being an outlet for directors and actors and you know a lot of personal stories I think when we watch films we're we're linking we're linking our lives to them but also um, when you look back there's the nostalgic element Mm. at play as well Um, and you remember more than just the actual film but you remember who you were with what you were doing um, perhaps your mood going into the film and obviously film has the power to to change our mood quite dramatically it's, it's a great form of um, escapism um, you know distraction and you know it's, it's, it's very uplifting I, I'm a very nostalgic person if I'm being honest um, so <laughs> I, I, I do very much look back on my on my childhood films and they're almost part of my kind of mental health toolkit yeah 
they're like um, almost almost like an immediate adrenaline boost or, yeah. or an injection of kind of you know feel good vibes. And I, and I would honestly say that the majority of people I talk to have a handful of these types of films that perhaps they will go to in a tough time because they're comforting. They're they're warm. It's it's safe. It's you know reminding us of, of being perhaps you know back back as a child in our family home and what i find really interesting is they're not necessarily and this is what i like about about the conversations charlie and i have is they're not necessarily the great films of all time no one no one's finding their comfort in citizen kane or uh you know gone with the wind necessarily although some people probably do but like and particularly for men of our age uh it is the jurassic parks which you know i will consider a masterpiece and perfect but that isn't necessarily up there as 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 the most uh, articulate piece of art definitely i couldn't agree more i i was looking through my dvd collection when you invited me on and i was looking at all the films perhaps that i could you know choose a minute from and yeah it doesn't have to be a classic in fact quite a few of my memories are actually of films that I think if I was being brutally honest, and if I looked at some kind of, let's say, reviews of these films, they're probably panned in general. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a time, there's a there's a memory that's attached to these films. Um, a, a good example would be, for a long time, this was this was very early in, in my Christmas memories. We started watching uh, the film Cliffhanger. I don't know if you've seen Cliffhanger. I I do, and I won't hear a bad word said about at least the soundtrack. (laughs) The soundtrack gets me every time. So I absolutely love this film, but my my memory of it is as a child, we put it on, or it was always on TV, on Christmas Eve, and it was the film that we watched to try and fall asleep to um, before we went to bed, and obviously, you know, we, we then would sleep through, hopefully, until Christmas morning. And... That opening scene, the opening scene of Cliffhanger, Cliffhanger you know, which I know has been kind of parodied in, in Ace Ventura. And uh, <laughs> if, you, if you've seen Ace Ventura in the sequel, uh, When Nature Calls, it's been, it's been parodied with a raccoon, which is hilarious. <laughs> but the, the, the Cliffhanger intro where, where, you know, they're trying to rescue the, the, the poor woman that's kind of yeah. hanging from this, from this rope uh, across some mountains, it's... it's it's very powerful and you know the eye contact as he's losing grip you know as he's trying to hold on to her amazing yeah amazing and that's that's a that's a great minute but it's not necessarily a film that i would i would go out there and, and say oh my god you need to watch this yeah it's hold up brilliant. hold up a sign at a protest give cliffhanger it's oscar yeah. <laughs> i think i think i think we can class that as an honorable mention i might put it on our honorable mentions list on letterbox because that's definitely a minute you've identified yeah. that you almost picked the, the, my, my surprise when you told us what your movie minute was was it that it wasn't a minute from from die hard because i know talking about Christmas and talking about action movies, you are a huge Die Hard fan. So before we get yeah. down to your minute, what, what, what prevented you from picking a minute from Die Hard? So Die Hard, again, is that, is that moment where you look at the film and you go, wow, there are a lot of moments that I could pick. So that was one of the dilemmas. But the, the other moment is that it's become a tradition, yeah. uh, a very powerful tradition amongst my friends that we watch all the Die Hard films at Christmas um, we call it Die Hard Evening. We have quizzes. We, you know, get fake snow if we can. We, it's, we, we buy the same chocolate bars that one of the terrorists eats in a scene. Um, it's really, it's really intense. Um, and I, I take my time before telling people that I do it because I don't want to be 
kind of uh, judged too much. Well, it it's, on a, it's, on a, it's on a podcast now, an internationally listened to <laughs> podcast. I know. I, over time, I've become less ashamed and more proud. So, yeah, so it was more, I think, the general, the general feeling that I have around that film and Christmas and meeting my friends and those traditions and obviously a lot of iconic scenes. But... I think it's the overall package that is brilliant, and that's what stopped me from perhaps honing in on an on an actual minute, which is more significant. And I think that's that's the vibe that I got from this podcast more to more to focus on that rather than perhaps the film itself. There is something special about being able to, to being able to recognise a minute in a film that may otherwise be like absolute dross. Like. like um, I'm trying to think about some of our other guest choices uh, and they've all been really classy. So it's going to come down to ours, <laughs> but it's going to come down to mine, like Superman three, which is a nonsense film. But that one, that one Android moment landed so hard when I watched it that, that it sticks in there uh, for life. And I had my, my first choice, which was to do the Alien Ripley scene from Alien 3 mm. rather than choosing one from Alien or Aliens, which are much more widely regarded as much better movies, was because actually that was probably the best snippet of Ripley and Alien out of all the movies, even though it was maybe arguably one of the weaker movies as a whole. So, yeah, being able to find a minute that works and, and has something in isolation that's within a, a movie that's maybe not one of your favourites is, is actually quite an interesting path to go down. Yeah, I think we've teased it enough. Um, so I think we uh, should get into your, uh, to Matt, your movie minute. And uh, in the tradition of this podcast, we have asked you to prepare a uh, no characters, no giveaways description uh, of the minute because our listeners like to guess. Um, so if you wanted, please describe your minute. A teenage boy is in a bedroom touching wallpaper covered in tree patterns. He runs his fingers softly over the wall, following a little squirrel drawing that's been sketched on the wallpaper. He follows the squirrel to a bookcase and flicks through a book, noting small sketches coming to life in the corner of the page. He picks up another small book, cut out artistically, and holds it out into the bedroom. Holding it up, he realises it represents the bedroom windows. Opening a third book, he sees pages cut to create a hole with a mock polar bear standing on an island in the sea. He struggles to hold back his tears as he touches the hat, a knitted scarf and a pink wig. He picks up and puts down some scissors from a collection and observes the room, overwhelmed with emotions. So I suspect that that is not one of the easiest uh, to guess, particularly considering I think our last couple of episodes have been very easy to guess um, for, for some people. I think there's a lot of people still scratching their heads out there. There's not many clues in there. So Matt, do tell us uh, what the film is um, so that our listeners can stop having to guess. So I can tell you the film is called Me, Earl and the Dying Girl. We've teased a little bit about the fact that this is a, a, a scene that you kind of like in isolation um but let's first of all talk about where for those who have seen it so they can kind of get their minds into the film where in the context of the film does this particular scene sort of sit so this scene uh, comes right towards the end of the film 
in the last 10 minutes, actually. And the film has built up this relationship uh, between a boy and a girl, teenage boy and a girl. And at this time, we're seeing, in essence, what is a, a wake, really, uh, within the house, um, as this teenage girl has sadly passed away. The teenage boy is actually kind of unsure of, of perhaps whether or not he should go up to the room, um, but he makes his way up to this girl's bedroom where they spend a lot of time together, um, hanging out, socializing, and he, he actually goes up through the through the fire escape and kind of sneaks in through the window and enters this bedroom. And this is kind of like one of those really powerful scenes right towards the end of what is really a powerful film uh, surrounding uh, grief and, and death. And it's him discovering little things that he didn't realize um, about his friend and him also kind of coming to terms I think with how significant this relationship has been for him. Okay. Now you mentioned film about uh, grief and death. Now I also teased uh, in the intro that that you have a kind of a, a sort of niche subgenre that you're fascinated by, and that is uh, movies about kind of grief. Um, am I right in thinking that's a bit of a a sort of yeah, favourite subgenre? That is correct. But I have to be honest, it has snuck up on me. I didn't actually go out there and intend to kind of, you know, purchase films or go and see films connected to grief. It's not something that I actually, I did kind of consciously. I think subconsciously I've just been drawn to these types of films. And and again, you know, looking through my collection before coming onto this podcast, it, it really dawned on me how many, how many films, if grief isn't necessarily the, the central point of the film, it's definitely, a, you know, a, a kind of subpart of the film. I did write a little short list of films I believe you and I have spoken about previously that are all to do with grief. And some of these okay, we actually saw it. in the cinema together. Uh, a, a Monster Calls, Ghost Story, Baby Teeth, Manchester by the Sea, Up and Coco. Have I missed anything in terms of like the big hit, the big grief hitters in terms of your, your niche sub, subgenre? Um, I, I think you've hit them. I think you've hit most of the most of the spots. I think... You know, there are some there are some perhaps kind of more subtle themes in certain films that kind of incorporate grief, but the ones you read out, yeah, those those are probably the big hitters, I would say. Okay, and so I read I read that list out for, for a reason, and that is, you know, there are there are hugely powerful emotional sequences in all of these films um, that are about essentially around grief. And you said earlier, you know, you've maybe not necessarily chosen your favourite film. You've chosen a minute that works for you in a in a specific film. So, what is it about this specific minute that does what what it does uh, for you compared to kind of all these other kind of great great grief movies? I say great in inverted mm. commas in a way because they're they're difficult to watch. But what what is it specifically about this scene? I think because when when you talk about grief. Um, and especially grief connected to perhaps a you know a child passing away or a, a young adult passing away, the bedroom is is very symbolic um, around the theme of grief. And what I mean by that is you basically two things can happen um, with a bedroom like this. It's either maintained in in exactly the same mm. 
state that it was left, it almost becomes a shrine to the person that's passed away, or it's immediately packed up and all items are immediately removed and perhaps given to charity or, or thrown away perhaps in, in the moment. Um, and there's something about this boy who I can say is Greg, Greg's the name of the character, he actually has his moment in this bedroom, a moment that I imagine, you know, in the film later, maybe the girl's parents would have. And it's observing all these items that perhaps this girl has, has picked up over time, everything that's precious to her. And it's that feeling of being, I think, let into the secrets of someone's life that you, that you can still discover new things about someone that you were very close to even after they've passed away. You know, those stories are still are still kind of popping up and surprising you. And you can see from the expression on his face in this scene, he is actually, he's almost jumping between being distraught and actually kind of smiling and kind of having that feeling of like, wow, you know, she's, you know, she's still surprising me or I didn't realize she did that or I didn't realize she kept this book. Yeah, there's a line in it, isn't there, earlier from the history teacher who says that you keep on learning about people after they've, they've died. And that kind of rang through yeah. to this, this, this scene. It's basically he didn't know a lot of this stuff. But it all does kind of hark back to little comments. Like there's a moment where they talk about squirrels. There's a moment where they talk about polar bears. So they're, they're, he isn't like, learn, re, it's not huge revelations, but it are, it's all these kind of like little bits and and bobs that kind of are interesting he's not and, I, and you might read this slightly differently he's not the an overly likable character in this movie the way i read it he's not like someone who you're kind of like jeering for initially and he makes a lot of errors all the way through and kind of even she talks about him as being quite self-indulgent particularly towards the end of his life he's quite absent um is there is there anything kind of a, about that in terms of the this 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 sort of scene that happens after she's passed i think just in, in terms of their relationship, what's really pleasing about about the film and obviously what builds into this scene is is the fact it's not a love story and they make a big part a big kind of point mm. of saying that it's it's not a love story. And I think it's obviously refreshing just to see um a friendship um develop between this boy and girl and it doesn't have to be romantic. You're right, he's not necessarily hugely likable, very socially awkward. And I think you see, you see when he goes around the bedroom. I think you see, you see that he recognizes that this this friend has numerous parts to her life, has numerous um, threads that perhaps he doesn't necessarily have. He has his filmmaking, which, if anyone's seen the film, it's it's he does a lot of kind of um, jokey, kind of independent, you know, films with his friend Earl, but. He doesn't really have a purpose. He doesn't really have a direction. And I think, you know, there's there's an element of him going around the room, perhaps comparing her life to his. Um, the the relationship the relationship is is perhaps the refreshing thing for me because if we were to look at a comparison in uh, in terms of other films, um, I think it's the film. Um, is it The Fault in Her Stars? Is that what it's called? The Fault in Her Stars, yeah. Which this, I think a lot of people would directly compare to the kind of, on the face of it, similar relationship. Like the book cover of a boy and a girl and the girl with cancer is a, is a, is a 
is a link that people will make assumptions about, I think. Yeah. So uh, I think unlike that film, the friendship element is, is, is crucial here. And the, the girl genuinely wants, um, wants him to kind of better himself and to improve and to be more confident and to, to take more risks. But, you know, back to your original point, Charlie, he is, he is actually, you know, quite unlikable at times. And, you know, he's forced, obviously, into hanging out with her, yeah. which is the, is the setup. Um, but I suppose the other, the other key point about the bedroom, which is also very important in terms of this scene, is that they, they do spend a lot of time in this bedroom throughout the film. Mm. It's, you know, in terms of the, the scene, we recognize parts of that bedroom. And we've seen them hanging out there uh, at various points during the film, and you know a lot of the a lot of the shots are of him kind of coming into the house with her looking down from the bedroom window and and kind of seeing him arrive at various points during her treatment and, and during the kind of you know her battle with cancer. So you know the the room is important throughout the whole film, and then this is kind of the you know, the final, the final point where we, we get to kind of explore it just, you know, through Greg's eyes. And, you know, you, I, I, I think there's a scene earlier in the film where he notices a Wolverine poster on the wall. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a Hugh Jackman impersonator actually talks to her through the posters. Doesn't he? Well, unless it is Hugh Jackman. I don't know if there's a Hugh Jackman cameo in this. I, be- I believe it is Hugh Jackman. And it's very, it's very funny because he's making the point of uh, basically, you know, Greg being a bit of a bit of an idiot, really, and that you know he's not he's getting things wrong socially, which is also Greg's worst nightmare. And, and I think he feels immediately bad, but he's kind of imagining this uh, Hugh Jackman poster talking to him. And again, this is another example of items in a room that we we just get a little snippet of. That's that's a snippet of, of perhaps something that we might have seen later in this scene that I'm describing. And in particular that age as well, I think, you know, if, if I think about like um, my teenage years, you know, I would, I, you design your bedroom to almost define you, don't you? Um, whereas that sort of stops, I guess, when you when you get, get a bit older, the, the bedroom doesn't necessarily have all your your own personal bits and bobs in it. You know, that those kind of go through the rest of the house. But like certainly in my teenage years, you know, you want your bedroom to be someone can walk in and, and, and define you as a person by looking at what's on your wall. And um, that, that, that that's quite an interesting thing. Um, going back to what we were talking about before you told us what the clip was, and I know this is your, your week off, Matt. So you are, uh, we're going to talk to you about your day job for a moment again. But then you did bring a film about grief to, to the table. So it's fair game. It's fair game. We're bound to talk about this. But um, thinking about not necessarily just this isolated minute, but also kind of the other films that we've talked about off, off mic before about kind of films that are about and around grief. Um, does any of this sort of sort of language of cinema around grief, you know, you, you mentioned kind of bedrooms as being quite important. You mentioned this idea of like memories after the event. Like, has this helped you help young people who are grieving uh, or do the movies themselves? Is this something you'd recommend young people look at? You know, has it fit into your day job when you are in your spare time watching films which have these sort of um, moments like this in it? I think it's the, it's that moment where you're trying to help a, a young person deal with a significant loss and you want them to get to the stage where perhaps an item or a photo 
you know, a, a significant, you know, part of this person's life, and um, no longer brings them, you know, pain or, or discomfort from holding it, from looking at it. And that moment, there's just a, there's like a, a slight jump after a certain point where that item actually then becomes a just a positive memory and becomes a a flood of nostalgia or a flood of happy you know emotions going oh i remember this time or i remember when they used this or i remember this person fondly so a lot of films do this kind of setup with grief where obviously it's incredibly painful it's incredibly um raw and then by the end of the film they start to show the character on the whole move into that middle point where it still is painful but they can reflect more on the on the positive nature of of what happened and the good memories of that relationship and and that as a counselor is, is really your job you know that most people will get to that point and a lot of people will get to that point without needing a counselor um there's a there's a feeling that once you once you experience a significant loss that you immediately oh you need you need to speak to someone. You need to be talking about it. But, you know, there's a there's a whole set of reactions that people have that would be classed as normal grief. And it's only once it gets into, you know, two or three points which would be classed as complicated grief that you would actually seek out a counsellor. Uh, it's very natural for that process to happen with or without a counsellor. It's just my role is more when people get stuck, when people feel that they can't move past some of those early stages of grief. Uh, and I think at the at the end of this movie minute, for example, I think you're already seeing towards the end of this bedroom scene where he's kind of observing the room after he's kind of had a quick look round. He's already getting quite near to that point already. Now I don't know how far in terms of the film's order, how you know how far down the line that bedroom scene is after the the girl's death, but you can see that he's already getting to the stage where he's taking the good bits from what they've experienced rather than dwelling let's say on the negative yeah i find it interesting you mentioned like an object because he he does leave with a a, a book i think it's I think it might be the book that's got the polar bear in it or it might be a different book but i remember he, he leaves with a book but he doesn't like you don't see him leaving with like a box full of stuff he leaves with he leaves with the the, the the pillow that they share the cushion oh that's right yeah and yeah. and I've, i always i find that quite interesting because like there's the there's the giant college book that has this it's not the polar bear it's a different it's a different scene that she's created um but this like the instruction to take the the pillow uh, i always i'd i've find that really interesting in what you were saying about how you know people respond to these rooms like i, I watched the film thinking oh great so now he's got this pillow that yes is connected to a memory but at some point he has to make a choice about this pillow. Like, is he going to be an old man sitting in his sitting in his room, hanging on to the memory of this person through a fluffy pillow? Or is he going to go to college and decide to not take him with it? And then his mum's going to throw it away. Uh, his mum played by Connie Britton, who's one, like the mum casting in, in, in this film is phenomenal. Connie Britton and Molly Shannon. I really wanted to see more of Molly Shannon's grief, actually, because uh, mm. she responds to it before the before the kid has died, uh, mm. in some really interesting, complex ways. But yeah, the idea of gifting someone something has a weight to it that I don't think I enjoyed. It's it's a little bit morbid, but I, I watched this scene and 
I imagined someone going through my room mm. after after I passed away, which is very morbid. But that that feeling, like you, you said, Charlie, you know, that your room as a teenager is very personal to you. You put all your you know your photos, your your creations, your your keepsakes, you know, in your room, dotted about. Some more obviously than others. Some more hidden, um, and that's perhaps where some of the kind of um, hidden stories can come out for people going through your room. But that that idea of if it was you know a loved one or if it was you know just a friend going through my possessions or going through my room as a teenager, you know, what would I want them to remember about me? What would I want them to see? Um, you know, and as you said, Mark, you know, would I want them to have a, you know, a, a kind of keepsake? Would I want them to take something from the room? I'm concerned my family are going to grieve for me over a box of miscellaneous phone chargers. Like <laughs> <laughs> collect, collecting old Sony Ericsson chargers that I couldn't bring myself to throw away just in case. If you were to think back to just this sort of six, this specific minute, what is kind of You've mentioned the bedroom, you mentioned the objects. Um, is, is there anything kind of else that's happening in this sequence that kind of like really hit home to you um, that you kind of haven't, haven't mentioned? Is there anything that kind of solidifies this as the sort of your go-to kind of grief minute? I, I, feel, I feel like I can't be on this podcast without mentioning how significant film scores and music are to me. Like massively so, massively so. And when you did the uh, the Jurassic Park episode and talked about the John Williams score, uh, you know, I was there going, yes, 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 yes. That was that was as that that was the dominant factor for me in that scene. And most of the films that I watch that I love, it's no coincidence that I I have the film score for them. I love the you know the the instrumentals. Um, in some films, I like uh, a soundtrack in the, in the more kind of uh, traditional music sense. In the dirty uh, dancing sense. Uh, yeah, exactly. But generally, the film scores are, are what I would kind of reach after. And in this particular scene, um, there's an instrumental song playing throughout um, by a band called Explosions in the Sky. So definitely check them out. They're amazing. And this, this song is actually called Remember Me as a Time of Day. And the the music I feel fits the scene beautifully, and it's it's very subtle, but just kind of a bit of a slow build up towards him slowly, almost getting overwhelmed. Like as, as he goes to kind of kind of almost like touch touch her hat and stroke the wig, you know, you can see on his expression he's beginning to kind of crack a little bit, and the music you know that accompanies that is 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 huge. So. That's something I feel I definitely have to mention because I notice the music. I feel more, more than a lot of people, that kind of comes to me first, um, almost before the actual acting in, in, in some ways. Um, what really annoys me is when you get these stunning pieces of, of kind of film score and they then become day to day kind of songs in adverts no <laughs> the, the bbc using hopipola cigarettes for every single olympics montage <laughs> exactly the the biggest the biggest one i have the biggest gripe is um my favorite film i would say of all time is uh, edward scissorhands and uh, the the film score uh, by danny elfman is, is stunning but it's used constantly now for adverts for british gas and uh, you know just <laughs> 
it, it gets me. It annoys me so much. But, you know, the significance of the film score in this scene is, is definitely something that deserves a mention. And there's now a bunch of listeners, and Mark and myself included, who who who, who want to hear the My Movie Minute episode in which Matt talks about Edward Scissorhand, uh, which, uh, not a movie about grief, but a movie about certainly, like Inside Out, a lot of emotional aspects to that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not it's not normally our last question, but tell us a little bit about, about why you love um, Edward Scissorhand before you go. You did tell me you weren't going to select a minute from it because you couldn't find a minute from it that was that was in isolation, but I'm going to give you your moment to talk about Edward Scissorhand. I feel like Edward Scissorhand would, would be me seeking out my own counsellor to, uh, to work with because it's the film that probably makes me kind of well up the most. Um, there's something about, you know, I suppose this is kind of a sub- sub-genre of grief really um loneliness and you know there's there's something that just gets me every time about the idea of edward poor edward being stuck up there in the castle with absolutely nobody um and it's almost worse that he's had he's had a little taste a little experience of that kind of warmth and you know family dynamic and yeah just the last scenes where he has to go back up there and just stay up there it's just like I just want to find this castle, you know. That that's not a box you're willing to open on. <laughs> on <a podcast. laughs> no, no. My heart's racing as I'm saying it. I hate it. I, I, so I hate we can call it bit. another lost episode if we need to. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, Matt, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your movie Minute and, and actually quite a variety of different movies we've talked about today um, around the subject of kind of grief and loneliness. It's been really interesting and we may get a couple more, one or two more counsellors on uh, this series. We may have a bit of a, a, a guest theme going on. Is that on. you saying you still need more help, Charlie? <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, still need more yeah. support? You made me feel better about my uh, my, my my weird kind of emotional attachment to an animated Pixar movie by, by talking about your reaction to Edward Scissorhand at the end there. So I, I already feel a bit better. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. A big thank you to Matt Green for guest starring on this week's episode of My Movie Minute. Please do subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at My Movie Minute, where you'll find in the bio things like the links to our letterbox page and the various platforms where you can find previous episodes of My Movie Minute. Hope to see you next week for episode 21. Yeah, I can imagine it's quite frustrating feeling all the emotions of a movie, but also being asked to change your credit card provider or <laughs> find a mortgage. Between the stars and through the clouds and over the fields we roam but no matter where we drift there's really no place like home British Gas